Well, listen, we are in a brand new, or not a brand new series, ending a brand new series. We started five weeks ago. Today is week number six in this series entitled The Me Mentality. The me mentality is obviously reflected in culture and society that is all about me. What matters is me and mine and I. It's my family. If we're driving on the road, it's my road. We only just care about us. And unfortunately, that me mentality is just contradictory to what it looks like to be a Christ follower. You have to decide and I have to decide who sits on the center, who sits on the throne of our life. And it's either us and doing things that honor God and for God and loving God and loving others, or it's us, and life's all about us. And so what we found out through this series is that a lot of us, we walk with a me mentality. We walk it out in areas of being self-centered, self-governed, self-sufficient. If you have not been here for these messages, I'd encourage you to go back and check them out. But today, we are going to end this series of me mentality on the idea of being self-confident. Everybody say self-confident. Come on, Lawrenceburg. Come on, say it one more time. Self-confident. Let me ask you a question. How would you rate your level of self-confidence? Is your self-confidence fairly high? You feel very self-confident in life? Or maybe are you on the other side that you have low self-confidence? You just don't feel very capable in life. You feel very uncomfortable with challenges you face. Maybe a better question or a follow-up question to how you would answer, how would you rate your self-confidence is, is this idea, is if you consider yourself to be very self-confident, what do you contribute your self-confidence to? And if you're on the flip side, you don't feel very self-confident, I would just ask you the question, why? Why do you not have a very strong self-confidence? Now, as you navigate that, obviously this idea of confidence comes from us as we have a perception of our, of our attributes, of our abilities, of our assets, of of what we have, of what we can do, kind of as we, as we perceive those things in our life, maybe a better question yet still is like, you know, well, what are you referring to? Am I, am I confident about what? At the end of the day, when you talk about self-confidence, I would say this, that, that confidence needs a context. If you're going to decide whether you are self-confident or not, it has to have a context. For example, I was, uh, I was a youth pastor for about 10 years before I became a lead pastor. I've been a lead pastor for about 20 years now, more, actually more than that. And uh, when I was a youth pastor, uh, it was, I felt like it was part of my job not just to invest in teenagers, but was to tell parents how to raise kids. Now, here's what you need to know is I was telling parents how to parent before I was a parent. <laughs> and I thought I had it all figured out till I had kids, and I realized half I was saying was, it wasn't even right. And I just want you to know this. Listen, Lawrenceburg, Florence, listen. Here's what you need to know is if you don't have kids, you just need to be, be quiet and shut your mouth and not tell people who have kids how to raise kids because you don't know what you think you know because confidence comes from context. Once I had some kids, I realized, you know, I wasn't saying everything that needed to be said. And I would go further and say, if you have kids, but your kids don't have the problems that some other kids have, you probably ought to shut your mouth because I know it's easy to walk through Walmart and say, well, that was my kid. But if your kid doesn't have autism or your kid doesn't have ADHD or your kid doesn't have learning disabilities, then listen, you don't know what you're talking about because confidence needs context. This, is, uh, this plays out a lot of different ways. Um, I have recently re-picked up the game of golf. And I, I picked it up because a couple years ago, I didn't lay it down. I threw it down in frustration, aggravation. And I was, the, the more I played, the less saved I was. <laughs> but I'm, I'm playing again. And now here's the thing. I used to be horrible. I'm only less horrible. But for you that are golfers, you know the gap between being horrible and less horrible is confidence. 
Now, when I go out and I play, and some again, golfers, where are my golfers at? Lawrenceburg, raise your hand. If you like to golf, I'm not asking if you're good at it. I'm just asking if you like to play. All it takes is one good shot, one, come on, one good drive, one good iron shot, one good putt, and you feel like you're Tiger Woods. It's just confidence. But when I go out and I play now, here's, here's, I can't play with a group of people that everybody that's better than me because all of a sudden I'm outside of my depth and I feel like I have no confidence. I need at least one guy who's as bad as me, preferably worse than me, so I don't come in last place. Right? So come on. Our confidence needs a context. Let me give you one more. I'm a, most of you guys know I talk about I'm a gamer. I do some of that in my free time. Pastor Blaster 36, find me if you want some, but don't come unless you can bring it. And so, really, I will shoot you in the face with a digital bullet. <laughs> Some of you are like, we're going to a new church. Anyways, so I used to play sports games, and I have not played sports games in a while because I used to be really good at them, had a strong confidence, and I would play my son, Zach, when he was, when he was much younger than he is now. He's 17. The last time I played a sports game was probably when he was 11 or 12 years old because when I would play him in 2K football, I would absolutely dominate him. I was a horrible parent because good parents are like, would just beat him by a little bit or maybe let him win. Uh Uh-uh. I would beat him as bad as I could beat him. I would flea flicker every ball, score every time, and get a two-point conversion on top. If I beat him by like 100 to 7, I felt like I did a good job (laughs) until he beat me the first game. And I thought maybe that was a fluke. I just had an off day. And the next time he beat me was the last time I played. He beat me. He beat the brakes off of me. And I lost all confidence. I put the game down. I've never gone back. <laughs> Come on. Our, our confidence needs context. And there are some things as we navigate it, we have to figure out where, where really is our, is our confidence. Where is it coming from? And what I have found is that we live in a society and a culture that has a crush on confidence. And we are telling everybody how confident you need to be. Be confident and build your confidence. And you might say, Pastor Steve, is that a bad thing for us to be promoting confidence? Is that that a horrible thing for us to want to raise a generation of kids that are confident? Well, you answer the question for me. Because what I have found is the confidence we are investing in our kids isn't really true confidence. We're teaching our kids to be confident in confidence. For example, we we are allowing kids that... All they do is participate, and they get a trophy even though they don't really excel at sports. So there's some kids that really can't play the game that still get the trophy. Not your kids. Talking about other kids. Talking about the Methodist church's kids. (laughs) We have some some kids that are still getting stars on their paper because we don't want them to go home discouraged even though they either don't have the effort or the academics to really earn the star. We have cheerleaders that are making squad even though they can't do a somersault, much less tumble. So the problem is we are promoting a false self-confidence and telling kids they are something that they really aren't, that they have assets and abilities they don't really have. The problem with that is they're going to reach a stage in life where their false self-confidence is going to get exposed, and they're going to wander on an American Idol stage one day in front of the world. They've been told their whole life how good they can sing until Simon cuts them down to reality and say, you suck. Nobody's ever, you can say that in church, I can't. 
And sometimes, and, and people are shocked to hear that because we're raising a generation of kids, and this goes on to adulthood, where we say how wonderful they are, they can do anything, they're beautiful and they're talented, and the reality is sometimes you just don't have the ability to, to achieve an academic level that some of your peers do. Not everybody's athletic, some people are clumsy, some people can catch a ball and some people can't, but that doesn't mean you're not gifted, it doesn't, be, doesn't mean you're not made in the image of God, it doesn't mean you don't have a plan and a purpose, but our confidence comes and it has to have an appropriate context for it to be true. Self-confidence can't just be about everything. There's something also in researchers have discovered something called gender overconfidence. Now in the two genders, because there's only two, males and females, gender overconfidence, who do you think would be the overconfident one? Come on, we can say it. Males. I mean, the anthem of males around the world is hold my drink or watch this. Because we have, and when you watch, if you watch social media, generally it's, it, it is, it, it's the guys who when you watch the video, you end the video with like, ooh. Because they think they can jump off things they shouldn't jump off, and they're jumping off roofs into pools or jumping off roofs onto trampolines into pools. Why the women are like, that's just dumb. <laughs> but men are overconfident. I can do that. But on the flip side, where typically men are overconfident, women are underconfident. And so the same way you see social media videos of men displaying their overconfidence, you find women on social media trying to show and, show and, and divulge enough of themselves to get enough likes and to get enough shares to somehow compensate for their lack of confidence. And that's why you find men trying to affirm their confidence and women trying to acquire their confidence. It's because for many of us, the confidence we have is misplaced. Our confidence is in us. And what we're going to find out today, if you're taking notes, is in order to put our confidence properly where it needs to be, confidence is something that's found in Christ. Our confidence, our ability to be confident in who we are, in seasons we go through, in challenges we face, in what we see in the mirror, in changes of occupation, in frustrations you go through, in achievements and failures, what will maintain a strong self-confidence is your confidence not in who you are and what you can do, but confidence, come on, say it, our confidence is who? It's in Christ. And so I want us to lean into a conversation that the Apostle Paul has. And he kind of takes us down this road, this idea of, of confidence. And what you'll find out right away that the idea of confidence or self-confidence is, uh, is first of all, confidence is something that really is, is a very biblical, spiritual idea. It's not something that the world had the idea of. It's something that God wants us to have and carry this self-confidence. But what you'll find out is oftentimes when Scripture uses the term confidence, being assured, be, having boldness, it's not tied to you. It's always tied back to Jesus. And so check this out. In, in the book of Philippians, as we navigate this conversation I want you to see this. So here's the conversation. The Apostle Paul, for thousands of years, God was dealing with his people, the nation of Israel. And the way he dealt with them was through the law. That they would sin, God gave them the law, there would be a sacrifice for their sin, and then there was the law, the Ten Commandments, and beyond. And the goal was for them to keep the law. Don't steal, don't lie, Right? And so as they kept the law, part of the law was circumcision. They would identify as being God's chosen people through keeping the law and by being circumcised. Well, along comes Jesus, and Jesus sets down a brand new covenant. The new covenant is we're no longer made righteous by the law. Now we're made righteous through grace. Our confidence in our relationship with God, because some of you need to hear this. 
Because you showed up in church, and not only do you have no self-confidence, you have no God confidence. You walk in, and God's mad at you, and God's upset at you, and because of what you did last week, there's no point in praying because God ain't going to hear you. There's no point in worshiping because you ain't going to connect with God. And the reason you feel the way you feel isn't because your confidence isn't right. It's because your confidence is misplaced. And so Paul is going to have this conversation to help us navigate. It's not who you are and what you do. It's who Christ is and what he's done. And if you'll place your confidence in the, in the correct place, you can have confidence. And so the conversation is, as people started coming to Jesus, the gospel is being preached. This is not long after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So this message of who Jesus is, of what he accomplished, it's going global. And at the same time as people are giving their lives to Christ and surrendering to who he is and, and following his teachings and, and accepting the gift of grace, there is this whole group of people that were part of the Old Testament, Jews, who followed the Old Testament law, and they're called Judaizers. And what they did was they said, hey, we're saved too. We gave our lives to Jesus too. But if you're really going to be accepted by God, you still have to keep some of the law. Like you, you kids can't, you just can't have this faith thing you got to keep the law. In fact, if you're really going to be accepted, if you're going to have confidence in your relationship with God, you got to get circumcised. And so Paul steps into this conversation because he wants people, specifically believers, to have a properly placed confidence, not in who you are and what you can do, but in who Christ is and what he's done. Watch this. Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. He says, watch out for those dogs, which is Christian cussing, by the way. He's going to use another word, but he remembered he was saved. That's funny. You'll laugh later. Can we laugh in church? Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. He's saying there was a whole group of people in the church that they thought the religious people were the righteous people. The, the people who did the most good were the people who were the most confident. Now, in, in church today, a lot of times people think they're the righteous ones if, if they shout the loudest if they give the most, if they've been serving the longest, if they carry the biggest Bible, right? Some of you are like, well, good Christians don't watch those shows. And because you think you don't watch the shows that you don't approve of, those who do are going to hell, but you're going to heaven because you just watch Hallmark, which is from the devil. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I, I have read Genesis. I live in his creation and God who made all this, he ain't making Hallmark. That's not God. <laughs> Come on, man, this year, Christmas season's coming. This is your chance to get set free and delivered. On the count of three, if y'all believe Hallmark's garbage, say amen. One, two, three. Amen. Go ahead, girl. First service, true story. I saw some men say amen and duck when they said it. Amen. <laughs> so, again, we have this false confidence because we think we're doing better than somebody else somehow. And Paul says, no, you, your, your confidence is misplaced. Your confidence is in you. It's self-confidence. And so he goes on. Watch this. He says, for we, verse 3, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. For we rely, this is so powerful, for we rely, people who are truly saved, people, he said, man, anybody can cut their flesh. He said, the real challenge is to cut a negative relationship out of your life. The real challenge is to cut an addiction out of your life. The real, the real issue isn't cutting your flesh. The real issue is cutting an attitude out of your life. And you can't do that. Only God can do that. So he goes on. He says, so let's talk about the real from the fake. Let's talk about where real confidence comes from. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are those who, rely, are, are those who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus 
has done for us. Everybody, Lawrenceburg, Florence, I want us to read this next part together loud and clear. We put no confidence in human effort. Say it again. We put, come on, say it one more time. We put no confidence in human effort. He's saying, listen, there's a lot of us We look in the mirror and we get a lot of self-confidence based on what we see. We look at our bank account and we get a lot of self-confidence based on what we see. We get on social media and if we have enough friends and enough followers and enough retweets and enough likes, we get a lot lot of self-confidence. What the Apostle Paul is saying, I have figured out all the stuff I used to put confidence in. That stuff wanes and fades and it's not true. I need something that's an unchanging, sure foundation. If you are putting your confidence in how good you look, newsflash, you won't always look as good as you look. What looks good now one day is going to droop and drag and sag. You can nip it and tuck it and Botox it, and I'm all for it. I wish I could do it. I won't. This doesn't die. It just gets crazy. But I'm just saying, like, age is coming. If you're putting your confidence in how strong you are, newsflash, weakness comes with age. If you're putting your confidence in how much money you have, markets rise and fall. They crash and burn. You never know. If you're putting your confidence in your career, in your title, you never know what tomorrow holds. You could lose your job. You could lose your spouse. You can lose your money, but you can still have confidence. Nobody wants to face those things, but when the uncertainty that surely is coming everybody's direction, if you are self-confident in who you are, what you have, your assets and your abilities, you will be in trouble when trouble comes. And so Paul says, where do we really find confidence? He said, I have figured out that a lot of people are putting confidence in who they are, how good they are. He said, but instead, here's the goal. Put no confidence. Put none of your confidence, none of your hope, none of your boldness in human effort. And then he says this, check this out. He says, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. He said, I even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one, a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now, here's what you need to hear. He's A lot of the stuff he's saying probably doesn't relate, but basically he's saying if God could have loved anybody, I had confidence he could love me. I was the best Jew I could be. I was the best religious person I could be. I kept the strictest law to the letter. Like if, any, if anybody could do it, I was doing it. Now, again, it's this idea. He's pointing to it saying, I thought confidence could be found there. Let me just say this. The idea of the law, the purpose of the law in the Old Testament was not to ever make anybody righteous. Scripture clearly teaches the purpose of the law wasn't for you to try to keep it, to do it, and to fulfill it, and therefore feel good about yourself. The purpose of the law, the apostle Paul says, was it was my schoolmaster that took me to Christ. The more I tried to keep the law, the more I realized I can't keep the law, and I realized I need somebody to help me do what I couldn't do. That's what took me to Jesus. Because when I tried not to steal, maybe I didn't take what you had, but I coveted what you had. I didn't, maybe I didn't cheat on my wife and sleep with your wife, but I still lusted after your wife. Maybe I didn't have a bad attitude. And I didn't say racist things out of my mouth, but I had racism in my heart. He's saying at the end of the day, the more I tried to do good, the more I realized I wasn't really a good person. The purpose of the law is a mirror to show you how messed up you are. And that's what takes us to Jesus. And so it, it would be like this. He's saying there's, there's really nobody that's obedient. There's really only varied levels of disobedience. Think about how many of you guys drove a car or rode in a car to church? Wave at me. Lawrence Burr, you, you drove a car, you rode in a car. How many of you rode a bicycle? Took Shoe Leather Express. No, we all came in a car. 
Now, here's what you need to know, and this is true. Some of you, you rolled over. That wasn't a speed bump out of your neighborhood subdivision. You, that was an old lady that was trying to cross the road. You went on two wheels at one time. You ran three red lights, two stop signs, and you did like 20 miles over the speed limit to get here. You know who you are. And some of you are all self-righteous like, well, I kept the entire law. the entire. No, you didn't. You rolled a stop sign. Everybody rolls stop signs. And you might not have sped 20, but you did 26. And if the speed limit was 25, it's a limit for a reason. Even one mile per hour over the speed limit makes you a lawbreaker. See, we like to point to other people who are driving crazy and saying, I'm a good driver because I'm not as crazy as them. Paul's saying, I kept the law better than anybody, but I was still a lawbreaker because I can't get any self-confidence from how good I am. Because at the end of the day, we are all broken and messed up people. We all need to go to Jesus. I know, I know this, and some of you guys have figured this out. When I first came to church, I was not very confident in myself. I didn't fit. I didn't know the songs. I didn't give any money. I didn't serve anywhere. I did like some of you did. I came in late, and I left early. Not any of you, first service people. <laughs> so when the song started, I would stand there with my hands in my pocket and kind of mumble stuff. And, you know, but the longer I went to church, the more confident I got because I started figuring out the songs you know, I started being able to sing what was, you know, not just sing the lyrics, but, you know, I knew the songs. I started raising my hands higher and higher. I even, you know, come on, wasn't just in the world. When offering came, come on, God, I got five on it. I got five on Kingdom Builders. So I started getting more confident. Well, here's the problem with that. Some of you are new in your relationship with Jesus, and you have no confidence because you think it's who you are. And the flip side is some of you have been in church for such a long time, you think you got the songs figured out and the offering figured out and where you serve figured out. So you look at yourself and you feel confident because of how good you are. The issue is it's never in the beginning how you're not good enough because of who you are. And we never get to the place where we're so good that it's who we are. It's always who Christ is. Our confidence needs the context of the crucifixion in Christ. That's where confidence comes from. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness or self-confidence is unrighteousness. When you try to just muster it up and do enough and look good enough and have enough, the Apostle Paul says you'll never have enough and you'll never be enough. In the days you feel like you got it conquered, there's something just around the corner that will expose you, that your confidence is shifting. So where can we find confidence that doesn't change? Where can we find boldness it's not on us. Who doesn't change? Who's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end? Never changes, never will. It's Jesus. And so we got to put all of our hope, all of our confidence in him. And so notice what he says. He goes through, oh, let me say this. There's a, one of the studies I read, they, it's called the 9% overlap. The 9% overlap is this idea that when, when they rated people, had big conversations between how competent somebody was and how confident they were, they, find there's only a not, they found there's only a 9% overlap. How competent somebody is and how confident somebody is. How confident somebody is, how good they think they are. How competent they are is how good they really are. What they found out is there's a lot of people who think they're better than they are. None of you people. People who... There's a lot of people said, I can do that. I can conquer that. I can nail that. I'm good with money, good with relationships. I'm good with Jesus. I'm good. And what they found is when they really broke it down into their life, there was a lack of confidence where people had confidence, which means a lot of us think we're better than we are. So if your confidence is in how good you are, newsflash, you're probably not as good as you think you are, which newsflash, that will be exposed. So we got to come back to Christ and find real confidence. Watch this. He goes on. 
This is where it really gets important. If, if, you're, if you've been in church a long time, or you're brand new to church, brand new to spiritual things, this is really important. Lawrenceburg, everybody online, I want you to lean into this and hear what Paul says. So he's established it's not you. If anybody had it, I had it, and I didn't have it. I want you to hear this. Verse 7, he says, I once thought these things were valuable. I once thought my resume, the stuff I had hands on, I thought it was something, made me somebody. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I want us to read this out loud. Faith Church, Florence, Lawrenceburg, every voice. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Right here, come on, read it. Rather, I become righteousness through faith in Christ. Say it again. I become through, one more time, I become through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right, God's way of making you confident in your relationship with him depends on faith. If you're taking notes, your righteousness isn't through your profession and isn't through your possession. It's through your position. When we come to Jesus by faith, ultimately the Bible says we, we put ourselves, we become in Christ, which means I take my struggle, my sin, all of the stuff that's a mess in me, and when I come to Christ, the Bible says I'm hidden in Christ, which means the heaven, our Heavenly Father doesn't see my mess. He sees the success of His Son, which means I get righteousness not in who I am. I get to stand back, and I get the benefit of His righteousness. Now here's why that's important, because a lot of us, we think, uh, I th- we think our decisions somehow contribute to our standing. Now, we just know that's not true. I, we all know this is true. Before you ever came to Jesus, before you ever came to Christ, some of you, you did some good stuff. Let's be honest. I mean, I wasn't a total wreck. I tried to love some people and try to do some good things. Before I ever went out to party and carry on, I still helped my, the old lady next door carry her groceries in. Before I went out and did some stuff that got me in trouble with the law, I still went over and, and like, raked the leaves of, of the elderly guy next door to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, before, before you go to the club, you try to help some people out. This is why that's important, because doing good things as a sinner doesn't make you righteous. You're still a sinner. I don't care how much good you do, doing good things as a sinner doesn't make you righteous. Everybody agree with that? Then you got to flip the script because the opposite is true as well. The same way doing good things as a sinner doesn't make you righteous, doing bad things as a Christian doesn't make you unrighteous. It's not who you are, and it's not what you do. It's who he is and what Christ has done for us. Once we come to Jesus... We are hidden in him, and we are hidden in him forever. So once I come to him, it was never my good deeds in the first place. It was only that I'm hidden in Christ. And when I mess up, and when I fall short, and when I make mistakes because I do, my confidence does not have to diminish because I messed up. My confidence isn't in me. My confidence is in Christ who never changes. If you put your confidence in who Christ is and what he's done for you, your confidence will be fixed no matter what you face in challenges that are coming your way, in the difficulties that all of us in this room will at times go through. When you look in the mirror and don't like what you see, when you look at your bank account and it's down, when you're going through a marital struggle, when you read your Bible and you don't feel righteous, when you go and you show up in church and you know you made some mistakes last night, you can come with this full confidence that God loves me 100% of the time, 100% of the way, because it was never about me. It was always about him. I got some confidence. Come on, is anybody with me? So if you're taking those, our confidence 
my confidence and your confidence, Lawrenceburg, Florence, our confidence is tied to who Christ is and what Christ has done. Now, this is why this is probably even more important is because it doesn't just get us here, right? The confidence is we're trying to navigate our relationship with God and does he accept us? Does he embrace me? Am I okay with him? Once you know you are in Christ and that's where your confidence comes from, that doesn't have to be a question. Now, I'm not saying the devil won't mess with you and try to rob that from you. You've got to guard that. You have to know who you are in Jesus. You've got to have scriptures memorized, like, uh, you know, to make it really clear, like, Jesus, man, he died for sinners. Jesus, he absolutely laid down his life for us. He who, he who uh, knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus wasn't a sinner. I was a sinner. But he died so I don't have to, so I can be in Christ. And once you have that, that doesn't just change who you are today. Here's the flip side of it. It changes who you are tomorrow. Because all of a sudden, I just don't have a confidence in my relationship here. I have a confidence walking through life because the same way God made me right with him, God gives me confidence to walk this world out, to walk out what I'm going through and to experience victory in every area of my life. I can have confidence. So think about this. The Apostle Paul makes it clear that we have this confidence in salvation. Again, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not our righteousness. It's his righteousness. But the flip side of that is not only does God save me, I have confidence that God will keep me. He didn't just save me one day, now i got to navigate this thing wondering am I still good. The apostle Paul said, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that, which I've committed to him against that day, which means no matter who I am, what I go through, what I do, it's all about him and never about me. I am, come on, everybody say, I'm persuaded. Wouldn't you like to wake up and say, I'm persuaded, I'm absolutely convinced, I don't care what the world says, I don't care what the devil says, I don't even care what, sometimes what my small group says, I care what the word says, and God says I can be fully persuaded. And the idea is this, watch, I like this too. He goes on, he says this, it's not just about him saving us and just him keeping us, but you can have confidence that he's growing us. That God didn't just start me off on a journey and walk away, but I'm getting better because he's getting better in me. Come on, God's still doing a work in me. The apostle Paul, he said it this way in Philippians chapter one, listen to this, man, I love this verse. Everybody read this. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work will carry it to, y'all shout that word. See, you say, I'm not done yet. Well, good news is, you can have confidence he's still working on you. Come on, he just didn't get me here and leave me alone. The Spirit of God is still working in us as his children. It gets, it gets better than that. So if God saved me, God keeps me, and God is growing me, here's what you need to know is, did you know that God, his anointing is on your life? He's called you and gifted you? Which means when something good in, in your life happens, you know who gets the credit? Not you. See, if, if, if you get the credit, then it's how confident you are in what you've done. Well, we've already established we can never do enough. But if God gets the credit for starting it, and God gets the credit for growing it, then God should get the credit for finishing it. Apostle Paul, he has this conversation again about this idea of confidence, which means as is, is you start walking in your gift and walking in your call, which is, is key words, not church words. That's your passion, your purpose, your, your career path, being a mother, being a father being a financial advisor, if that's what you're gifted and called to do, when you start experiencing success in that, don't look in the mirror and be like, woo, girl, you're killing it. No, you ain't. It's the same grace of God that got you saved. It's the same grace of God that's growing you. It's the same grace of God that's getting your life right now. I'm confident he saved me. I'm confident he's working in me. And I'm confident of the call of God on my life. Apostle Paul says this. This is awesome. Listen to this. He's talking to you, by the way. Lawrenceburg, listen. He says, brothers and sisters, that's all to you. 
Everybody, both campuses, look at, look at a guy next to you, call him a brother. Look at a girl next to you and say, you're a sister. Come on, brother, sister. Come on, tell him you're a brother. You're a sister. That means he's talking to all of us. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Let's get real today. Before you came to Jesus, think about how much of a mess you was in. You wouldn't have came to Jesus hadn't you been in a mess. Some of you, it was your mess that got you to Jesus. Listen, don't ever look down at a bad occasion. The Bible says we should count those things as an opportunity for joy because God will use some of your most broken moments to bring you to him. He says, hey, remember where you were before you came to me? Watch. And then he refreshes us. He reminds us, not many of you were wise by human standards. You weren't as smart as you thought you were. I know you thought you were smart. No, you wasn't smart. He says, not many of you were influential. You thought you was popular, but your connections didn't really do anything for you. Not many of you were of, were of noble birth. Maybe you didn't have the right last name or born in the right household or have the right socioeconomic economic income or position. He said, think about where you were. What got you to me in the first place? Wasn't you. You didn't come to me. I came and got you. I'm not, I'm not just in you. What got you here was you're in me. Jesus is making this so clear. Then he says this, watch. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He's saying when you start figuring out you got some handles on life and you're succeeding and you're doing okay, when you don't, don't get down, get confidence in Christ. But when you start having success and you start seeing the other side of God's favor in your life, don't start thinking that you then either. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in Jesus. Look what God's doing. What that looks like for me is when I stand on this platform, there was a time I never wanted to get in front of anybody, talk to anybody in public. God called me to preach, and I said, I'll preach. Just don't make me stand on the platform. But those two things go hand in hand, which means when I get up here, it's never about how good I think I can do. It's always like, God, you better use me or nothing's going to happen. I can't change lives. I can't change hearts. I can't change your marriage. I can't change your family. I can't change your kids. But if I'll do what God called me to do, God will use who I am to help who you are. And it's all God. It's all him working, all him changing, all him healing, all him restoring. It's all him. Nothing good comes out of me. If it's good, it's Jesus. When we hire here at Faith Church, I hire and fire. It's all me. I have the right to hire and the right to fire. When I came here, some churches, the board does it. And I said, if I'm going to come here and be the pastor, I have the right to hire and the right to fire. You can decide what to get paid, but I hire and I fire. And when I have interviews, what it takes to get on this team, what it takes if there's an opening, we hire in what's called the four C's. After all the interviews and all the conversations and all the background checks, at the end of the day, we hire on four C's. The four C's are competency, character, chemistry, and calling. Are you competent? Can you actually do the job you're applying for? Do you have some training? Do you have some experience? Number two, character. If, if, I, if I bring you on this team, I don't want to have to bail you out of jail. It's a bad look on us and Jesus. That's pretty important to me. Number three, chemistry. Do you fit on this team? I don't care how competent you are. If you're like a square peg in a round hole and you just don't fit with us because we, we have some good times. We like to laugh here. We do some stuff that some people won't even think that's saved, but I'm going to be me and you be you. We've got some sophomore humor going on here. I know none of you, none of y'all perfect. So but you got to be a fit here and then call him. Are you called to do it? Are you called by, are you feel in your heart that the spirit of God has called you to do this? Now, 
it's really hard to find somebody has all four of those nailed. So you want to know where I'll fudge? You want to know where I'll compromise? I'll compromise first. I'll compromise first on chemistry. Unless you're just a really bad fit. We, we'll work with you, make room for you. We got a great team. But if you're not a great fit, I'll give you some room. Second place I'll fudge is character. Now, not for pastors. If you're a pastor, you need to be a person of character and integrity. But if you're a different level employee, uh, maybe different behind the scenes, or you don't have a pastoral call, then if you're new to Jesus, we'll give you room to grow. So you don't have to have it all together. So it really comes down to competency and calling. You know what's most important? I know you might think it's competency. It's not. You can teach competency. To me, it all comes down to the call. I need to know you called it. Do you know why? This matters for you. This doesn't matter for just us. It matters to you. Because if it's just competency, then you'll think it's all about who you are and what you can do. And when you hit a problem or you hit a lid, you're going to go inside on, on you. Do I have what it takes to fix that? Do I have what it takes to go through that? But when you recognize it's all about the call, then you stop looking inward. You start looking upward. When you hit a ceiling, the lid is you when it's about competency. But when the lid is about calling, there is no lid. It's all about how big God is. When you hit a tough spot, you go to Jesus and Jesus can work in you. Calling is the greatest accountability someone can have on their life because then I don't have to babysit them. I don't have to motivate them because it's not because you get an annual review. It's because one day you're going to stand before Jesus and give an account for your life. Your calling is so important. And some of you in this room, you have a calling and a gift on your life. And again, I'm not talking about like standing on a platform, though that may be it. I'm talking about the gift and call on your life to serve God in the season you're in, in the capacity you're in. And some of you are struggling with that. Can I really do it? Can I really make a difference? Can God really use me? I feel like I'm failing. I feel like I'm struggling. And what I'm telling telling you is it was never how good you are that got you saved. It's not how good you are that keeps you saved. And it's not how good, smart, beautiful, influential you are that will ever make you use. It's all Jesus all the time. It's how good he was that saved me. My confidence in Christ is that I'm in him and he's in me. He's growing me. It's not how good I'm getting. It's how good he's making me. He can use me because it's not how talented I am. It's all Jesus. The context of our confidence is Christ. So if you're struggling with confidence, at the end of the day, it's just because it's misplaced. Confidence has to come from Jesus. It's all him. Everywhere in scripture talks about it's all Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We have boldness to access the throne of grace through the blood of Jesus. It's all Jesus. And there's nobody in this room, there's none of you in Lawrenceburg, none of you watching online, that Jesus is off access, is not accessible to. All you have to do is turn to him through faith. And once you lock your faith in, confidence should come of who you are, of what he's doing in your life, and what he's called and gifted you to do. It's confidence. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Lord, I pray against the spirit of doubt. Some of you are wrestling with the spirit of there's a lack of self-confidence where you question and you wonder and you worry about your ability and your capacity and whether you're loved and valued by God, whether you have a place in this world, whether you can ever matter. And I come against that in the name of Jesus and I pray you'd be fully persuaded. I pray you'd have a confidence in the season you're in. I pray you'd have a confidence in the situation you're going through. I pray you'd have a confidence in the fight you're in. 
I pray you'd have a confidence in the call of God on your life. I pray you'd have a confidence when you pray, God hears you. When you worship, God connects with you. That you'd have a confidence when you drive down the road, the spirit of God is with you and in you and for you. I pray over this room. I pray over Lawrenceburg, everybody watching online. I pray, Holy Spirit, give us a confidence. Not in ourselves, but in who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name. And everybody who greets that, amen.